Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're doing another show from the National Congress of American Indians here in Denver, Colorado. It's October of 2018, and I just enjoy the privilege of meeting with so many people who are making a difference in Indian country. Across from me right now is Daniel King. Daniel, it's great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Daniel, you are the safety coordinator for the Oneida Nation of Wisconsin. You also have some key roles here with the National Congress. You're the co-chair of the Veterans Committee. You're also sergeant-at-arms for the National Congress. So it's really a privilege to have you here with us. Oh, I'm glad I stopped by. <laughs> now, I know with your background on the Veterans Committee, this is not just something you read about. You are a veteran. You have an amazing story. You and I have talked a little bit here at this uh, event about some of your background Tell us a little bit about leading up to your service as a veteran. All right. Well, before that, you know, I was in uh, Chicago under the relocation program of the 50s and 60s, and we'd go back home every now and then. But, you know, to me, a benefit in Chicago was we're learning about other people mm -hmm. and that. And during that time, I became a police officer in Chicago. Okay. And we did get in a little trouble, and they suspended us for 30 days without pay and I said, ah, yeah, heck with you guys, and ended up not realizing, I guess, I I overdid it one night, and I registered or volunteered to join the Army. Oh, really? And so they reminded me what I did, so that's how I ended up in the service. Wow. So as a police officer, you would have been exempt from the right. draft. I would have been a public servant, yeah. Wow. So yeah. you end up um, en enlisting yes. in the Army, is that yes. right? And this is during the Vietnam era. Yes. <laughs> so what happened from there? Oh, well, after I realized my mistake, I just followed through and went and um, ended up going through my training. And I went in as a computer operator. Okay. And in the end, I came out as an airborne ranger. And, wow. You know, through that time in the service there, it, that's how it, it became. And it wasn't what I seen after my basic training and all that. And then preparing for war, you know, mm. we grew up in an era of the 50s and 60s of looking at Korea and World War II vets and they, how they glorified it. Uh -huh. And when I talk to kids now, I tell them there's nothing glorious about war. It's horrific. Mm. They don't prepare you for it. They don't, you know, when you look at the movies, you know, it's nothing like it. And I all seen them. I always thought, I want to be like that. I want to have those medals. I like to have two women hanging on me and, mm. and, and the uniform uh -huh. and, and all that. But I think within uh, a week or two after being in Vietnam, I, I just had a totally different opinion. Wow. And from that point on, I think I changed my mind to become, it became survival. Mm -hmm. Because I questioned myself. What did I get myself into? But I questioned, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. And it became a, a, a thing that I thought of, why am I here? Because we're doing the same thing to these people, what was done to us 400 years before. Wow. So as a Native American, you're, you're 
basically putting yourself in that position. Yes, and looking through a rifle or seeing them, and when you look at some of them people, you think, I know somebody back home that looks like that. Wow, wow. Uh, or I know somebody at a powwow or a gathering that I, I know somebody that looks like that. Uh-huh. And, and it was just like... So yeah. it's like basically you were in a position where you are having to take the lives of families. Yeah. And and it doesn't justify, I think, what they prepare you for. Mm-hmm. You know, they can teach you all they, all they could, like they did with me. And, but they don't teach you how to live with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that was the hard part when, when we got home, uh, how we were treated. Not just myself, but all guys. Mm-hmm. And even... People forget, even those that guys that did not go to Vietnam, they still had a uniform on, but they were still treated the same way. Interesting. And, and and when I look at it and I talk to other veterans and bring them back, I all say a vet's a vet. They went in, they wanted a purpose for this country or something, but they didn't get chosen to go. But all those that I spoke to never said that they would not have gone. Had they been chosen, they would have went. They would have did their time. They said they wouldn't have gone to Canada. They would have, you know, did their time mm-hmm. and went to to the Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I met guys that were uh, were like that, that felt real bad because they didn't get to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I call. I said, "You were lucky. <laughs> no, you were actually lucky. You didn't have to, because mm-hmm. it's nothing like movies. Yeah, and nothing prepares you for it." And I look at myself when I got there that first night and that when they started shooting at us, I was, I dropped my weapon and I was trying to dig a hole in the ground with my nails, with my fingers. I didn't think of the shovel. Yeah. I didn't think of the shovel I had on my back. I was laying on, laying on the ground. I literally digging because uh-huh. I was scared because I was saying, these guys are trying to kill me. And, and all your training doesn't prepare you for that. Wow. One of the things that I understood from our conversations before the show, Dan, is that one of the things that has been healing for you is writing poetry. Is that true? Well, it didn't start out that way. It was just mm-hmm. my thoughts, okay. my own self. And even though I was drinking yet and everything and that, I started writing down what I thought mm-hmm. at that point. And I didn't really read it. I just wrote it and then oh, put really? it away. Okay. And then later bring it out and do it again. And it took years, and then next year I know I had 12 books of all kinds of stuff. And I started reading them. And I'd put it away and then read some more. Uh-huh. And I did that over years. And pretty soon I was laughing because mm-hmm. i look at the spelling. Uh-huh. Or I'd look at their English writing. And uh-huh. and but I knew what I was saying. Right, right. So I could fill in those. And finally, when I did finally start healing, I felt, you know, I'm going to take these. And I showed my brother. And I, and, and this was a guy from, um, Minnesota, mm-hmm. Jim Northrup. He was a Marine in Vietnam and he was a writer. Uh-huh. And he wrote the same and said, put it in different terms and kind of like poetry. And so he kind of told me too how to do that. Uh-huh. And, and so that's what I did. I started taking that, looking, reading that and start willing them down and found out it felt good to, for me to, to share those then. Mm-hmm. and to talk about them because the more we we don't talk the more pain we cause ourselves mm. and i found i felt better talking about it and then i started spanning out to 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 go to uh 
universities, colleges, conferences like here, mm -hmm. uh, VFWs, they would you know call me and hire me or whatever to come mm -hmm. and do that poetry and talk. Um, mm -hmm. I what what brought this on? Uh -huh. You know, and, and what happened to me after? You know, because I didn't know about PTSD for years until I was sentenced by a judge to go to treatment, and the for VA PTSD is that what yeah, you, uh. and the VA had an opening, and uh -huh. he gave me that choice: either you go to jail, or you go to PTSD treatment. Huh. And I argued with the doctor at that time: I don't have it. Even though I don't know what it is, right? right. <laughs> I was arguing with them. <laughs> so, we're, so for those who are tuning in, I think today it's almost become a household word. So, post-traumatic stress disorder, we've heard a lot about it in veterans, but of course, it can happen oh, if you're a anybody. survivor of a oh, yeah. natural disaster, if you're in car a accident, car accident, school shooting, uh, rape, uh, any yeah. kind of traumatic event, yeah. and in fact, in looking at the research, I mean, the estimates are that more than half of us have events of sufficient trauma that they could cause PTSD, yeah. although not everyone yeah. has that response. Yeah. So well, read us one of your poems. Okay. So help us see through your eyes, Dan. Well, you know, different PTSD, what I learned, you know, uh, like we said, maybe a car accident. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And to explain to people, what, when I explain it, I say, you see a car accident and it's bad. And, and and usually they cover something when it's really bad. Right. But you just happen to get there a little ahead of time uh, and see it. Uh -huh. And you try and sleep at night, mm -hmm. but that images keep coming back. Mm -hmm. And that may take you a little while, a week or two, and then pretty soon you're back and you kind of forget about it. It might come back, you know, every now and then mm -hmm. or when somebody brings up an accident. For uh, <clears throat> for a veteran, you, you times that way up. Mm-hmm. Because you divide that fact that not only you've seen it, you've done it. Right. And that, and so that's on a heavier level, but nobody taught us how to handle that. Mm -hmm. And that, so when I come home, uh, that was a lot of the problem I, I thought, and I followed the same suit as every guy, every, just about every Vietnam vet that did come home. You know, we, we drank to forget. Mm. And come to find out, our fathers did too. Huh. You know, when you look back in the 50s and 60s, I tell them, you name a, a legion or a VFW that did not have a bar in it. <laughs> no, we couldn't think uh, of one. I well, said because we were all doing the same thing. Uh -huh. Only it was kept back then. It was you know, it was just the men. <laughs> right, right. Well, the Vietnam vets brought it out. How do we get our feelings? What happened to us? Mm -hmm. You know, so that was the push of it. But when you come home, you know, I thought, you know, what was it? You know, what did we do? And this one, you know, like my sister said that, boy, you were just boys. Mm. You, know, you were so young. How old were you? I was nine, 20. 20. And, uh -huh. I, and I was 23 when I got out. Okay. And, and so in that period of time, she's saying, but that was still, you were young. Look at your picture. Right. I can and, imagine. And, and see how young you were. That was your life. And, and then I think back, you know, on the guys that didn't make it. Mm. You know, you didn't have that chance. And I thought of that, and, and I thought, well, yeah, the boys of war. And that's this poem, and the this, boys of this, war. Yeah, talks about that somewhat. Read it for us, please. All right. As boys, they sent us off to fight. We did what we were told. On our return as men, we found a nation bleak and cold. As boys, we went off with full pride. We'd be the heroes of on our return. As men, we left our childhood there. And quickly had to learn. No heroes we were. 
the voice of war that fought and died as men. For honor and our heroes, welcome your battles, you must win. It wasn't enough to suffer and bleed for a country so full of pride, if it had no use for a losing cause. So they cast us all aside. There was no honor in saying I served, if I couldn't say I had won. So we kept to ourselves and spoke, not a word of what we had seen or done. We all went our way and built a shell and quietly crawled inside. The world knew we ceased to exist. We were stripped of all our pride. We told no one of the pain we felt. For who was there to tell? When America turned its back on us, she doomed each to a private hell. Gone forever, the days of our youth, left somewhere far behind. No thanks were offered for the blood we shed, no rest for the troubled mind. For years we wandered alone and lost, left to deal with the hurt and the pain by a country wanting only the glory without accepting any blame. Today the hurt is still inside, though the war was a lifetime ago. At last we're learning it's not a sin to let your feelings show. Hmm. We gather today in veterans groups and friends that will lend an ear to understand how we feel when we talk of our pain and our fear. At last, learning to live with myself, not so strong, or the urge to roam. As I had a boy went far away to war, and a bittered old man came home. Hmm. And I think that's how we felt when we did. Because when I got out, I was told, I was told then, before you go to the airport, change your clothes. Don't wear your uniform. Uh uh, and so some of that said, you know, you were never welcomed, you know, the mm-hmm. heroes that you thought you'd be and how people treated you and, and how we had to stuff that pain and not mm-hmm. say, I'm a veteran. You know, we were too scared about it because of the way they were treated. And I feel like I was lucky. I went through some of that. But other guys that were non-tribal had to go through, suffer more. We have to step away for just a couple of minutes, but Dan, as I'm listening to your story, I mean, I I hear so much, and I hear in between the lines, and as we're dialoguing, some real keys for dealing with stress, for dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. We want to talk about those in our next segment. I'm Dr. David DeRose. You're listening to American Indian Living. We have to step away just for a couple of minutes. We're going to be back with more from Daniel King, Oneida Nation of Wisconsin, and... Uh, key player in the National Congress of American Indians. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with Dan King. Dan has been sharing some of his experience with going through the, the, the traumas, the, the pain that go along with war. It's something that, uh, as he's been sharing, was not openly talked about. And, and Dan, as I'm listening to your story and as those who've been tuning in have been listening, Reading between the lines, it sounds like ultimately part of your healing has been coming to a point where you can open up with things and and share them like in a venue like this. Is that safe to say? Yes, it is because a lot of us shut down. Mm. And I'm realizing what what I did to shut down and I could see a lot of other guys. And and when I speak, I tell them it's all right. It's Mm. all right to open up, to finally let your family, your son, your daughter, your wife know how you feel. Because mm-hmm. we hold it in. <laughs> mm-hmm. You were telling me a story I recall yesterday here at this conference about sitting down and looking in a mirror. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, about I'd say around twenty twenty one years ago, I was cleaning up in my bathroom and looking in the mirror, and I looked at that person in the mirror and said, "You know, I wanted to tell you how much I hate you. Yeah, mm. uh, how much." What did you do? You know, you 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 married, you divorced, and uh, something you would never do, and all this stuff. The way I treated people, the way I was in jail, out of jail, mm. all that thing, all came out. And I wanted to punch that mirror, and punch that person, but instead I just looked at it, and something just came out, and I actually said it. I forgive you. Huh? And I tell guys after I got up from the floor after thirty minutes of crying. Uh huh. I felt good. It wow. felt like something was released. And that's when I started kind of thinking more of these writings and that and how, how I can start healing, I guess. And every time I spoke about it, I started feeling better on myself. Uh-huh. And after crying, I figured, wow, 
I got feelings. <laughs> huh. And that, you know, and it felt good. You know, I could feel them now. You know, it's interesting you mention that because those of us in the medical community, we know that one of the signs of PTSD is this kind of emotional deadness where people don't feel emotive at all. So just crying actually to you communicated something, didn't it? Yeah. It meant that I could, I'm normal, or I thought I feel normal. Now I know I got these emotions mm-hmm. and I can cry. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel good. Because all these years it was like, okay, you're not normal. People telling you that. Mm. <laughs> and you start believing. Uh-huh. And even my ex-wife told me at my aunt's funeral, you're the only one not crying. Huh. That's not normal. And I'm like, okay, I, I start feeling that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, well, maybe because I've seen so much death and everything, maybe uh-huh. it's not there anymore. Uh-huh. And so that's why I felt like I can't cry no more. <laughs> and then when I did, it was like, wow, oh, I know I have all these feelings now uh-huh. inside. So every time I did these readings and that, it made me feel, I start making those connections back, mm-hmm. I guess. Because mm-hmm. when we look back all our lives as a male, when you were seven years old around that age, and when you fell, you're always told, you know, suck it up, uh, men don't cry. Mm-hmm. And you're seven years old. And that's where it started, I feel. Mm-hmm. Through the years, as you, as a male grew, you were the male. You were, you hide your emotions. You don't show them. And so if I'm listening to your story and I'm listening to your observations, Dan, I almost hear you saying that if we want to heal fully, we have to own our emotions. We have to feel free to share those, at least with some intimate people. And part of what gets in our way is just closing into ourselves. And that's not really a sign of strength. That's what ultimately destroys us. Yeah. To me, I found out, for me, it turned me, I'd say it's a weakness. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It was a weakness for me. Now, you've got another poem that uh, Mm kind of connects us with your experience back there Mm -hmm. in Vietnam. Yeah. Share that with us. Uh, Even though Vietnam ended, you know, 40-something years ago, a lot of times when you get with the guys and and stuff, and sometimes you're just by yourself, Uh it was was just like yesterday. Yeah, and that's what this is called, just like yesterday. Okay. Year after year, I've been trying to hide that I'm still fighting a war deep down inside. I've tried so hard to put the war behind, but those traumatic memories still stay in my mind. I still dream at night about the things I saw or done. I was just a kid, not much more. I see my friends' faces as I saw them fall. Keep, keep seeing their names etched in that long black wall. Mm. For me, the war's been over for more than 40 years. So why, when I think about it, I find myself in tears? Please, someone, tell me, do we really deserve to suffer like this? I keep asking myself, is it a doctor I need? Intrusive thoughts keep entering my mind. Why is inner peace so hard to find? I search my soul. Did I do any wrong? Strangely, I keep hearing that one old special song. We got to get out of this place. If it's the last thing we ever do. We got to get out of this place, girl. There's a better life for me and you, just like yesterday. And that Mm. was that number one song that all the vets in Vietnam from the animals sang back in the early 60s. Because we got to get out of this place. And that song stayed all the way up to the end because you wanted to get out of there. 
Mm-hmm. And that seems like it was just yesterday. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Basically, like you said, I mean, it's so easy in media to glorify war. Those who've seen it firsthand, there's nothing glamorous about it, is no. there? And you here, though, Dan, are not someone who is a, is a victim. You're not someone who's basically given up. Wow. But you're actually not only a person who is, well, to some extent, maybe we would say still in the process of healing. We all are, yeah. right, from, from oh, our yeah. traumas of the past. But you're also being an agent of healing others. Yes. There's a lot of people who tune into the show Many of them are veterans. Others have gone through other significant traumas, whether it's domestic abuse, whether it's mistreatment in the workplace, um, discrimination in the schools, whatever it might be. What kind of messages do you give people when you're trying to help them heal as well? I try and tell them to, to be strong, to look back at our religion whether it's Christian or our our tribal ways mm-hmm. and you combine them together. And, and look at them really deep. What do they really mean? Because that's what helped me hmm. to, to get to that point. Is when, when I've gone to different churches and then I look at our own, my own culture back mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. How do we heal? What do we do? And stuff like that. And then combine them together and, and, and don't, I don't think technical. It's just common sense. It's there in front of mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. It's right there. You know, we can almost smack ourselves in the face. And, but yet we, our minds go something deeper, hmm. way out here. We're trying to look at reach and grab, and it can never do it. But it's right here in front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when I hit that point in that mirror, I forgave myself. Mm-hmm. And that's where it started. Forgive myself. And then later on I said, I forgive America hmm. for how we were treated how you treated me when I came mm-hmm, home. Mm-hmm. you got to learn to forgive. That's one of the best things I think we can do. And I think that gives you strength to, to seek out, to say, I want to quit drinking. I want to, you know, I, I'm not putting up with this domestic abuse no more. I'm going to take that step. That's mm-hmm. that's the abuser's problem, not mine. I'm leaving. I'm not putting up. And, that, and even though these things are about war, that person can learn maybe from that too mm-hmm. and say, yeah, I am a warrior. I can do that now, uh-huh, uh-huh. whether you're a man or a woman. I love your emphasis on forgiveness because so much today, at least in some of the, the research that I'm looking at, is talking about just how important that is. So many of our illnesses, so many of our challenges have this component of stress. And much of the unresolved stress often relates uh, to situations where we're blaming someone or something. It's easier to blame. It sure is, isn't it? But yeah. it doesn't get you anywhere, no. does it? <laughs> no. no. I could blame society and everything, but, you know, even though I was on a prison board, a federal prison board, and I heard a lot of that, and I tell the guys, did you ever look in the mirror? Who put you here? Huh. I did. You know, the judge didn't. Go back and see what led you here. Huh. Look in that mirror, and then who do you see in there? That's who to blame. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's the same. <laughs> It's an interesting message because I know, you know, you mentioned spiritual traditions, whether it's native traditions, you mentioned Christianity. Um, In a lot of traditions, we're able to forgive ourselves because the Creator has forgiven us, for example, or our Savior has forgiven us, or uh, there's something outside of us that gives us value. 
Are you saying something different, or is it just another dimension of that? People don't uh, understand what it is to forgive. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we lost a lot of that. They could say it, but do they know what it means behind it? Mm-hmm. Do you really forgive? Uh-huh. Uh, can you forgive? Do you know what it really is to forgive? And people hear that term when they get something, they does something, oh, I forgive you. They just throw it out there. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... Uh, and, and so there's that dividing point, I think. Well, do you, how much do you really know? That's where the key is. Do you really forgive yourself? Or are you just saying it because it sounds good? Or, or do you really mean it? Now, for me, I meant it because that took my steps. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I tell people, I don't even remember the last time I know how to drink. <laughs> That's tremendous. Yeah. Well, Dan, you've been very gracious. I know you've got a meeting coming up very soon. I appreciate you coming and taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here at NCAI. I know there's some other great poems you have. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll sneak in in another segment while we're recording here. Yeah, I'll have time. Okay, very good. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We have to step away from the mic just very briefly. We've got more coming up on today's edition of American Indian Living. Another great guest in the next segment. You don't want to miss it. I'm Dr. DeRose. We will be right back. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. 
Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're continuing a show from the venue of the National Congress of American Indians in Denver, Colorado. It is October of 2018, and we've been speaking about things that relate to veterans in Indian country. We had the privilege of having Dan King with us for the first half of the show, and now we've got someone else who has some intimate insights into issues affecting veterans in Indian country. Her name is Carol Scott. Carol, it's great to have you with us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, Carol, you are part of a team of attorneys, a corporation, a legal corporation, Bergman and Moore, that has had quite a presence in Indian country uh, relating to veterans' benefits. Tell us a little bit about the background of your, uh, your law firm. Bergman and Moore was founded by two former uh, attorneys for the VA who decided that the VA was not doing the right thing by veterans, Hmm. and they decided to go out and start their own firm. And they did that about 22 years ago. And that firm has now grown to over 70 staff. We have legions of lawyers, Uh and we do basically appeals, and we represent the veterans from the D- from the Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, AMVETS, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and several others, including the National Association of County Veteran Service Officers. We represent those veterans before the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims, which is an Article I court. So... Why don't you help some of us understand how things work? But before we get into talking about the veteran system and why there'd be a need for appeals, we want to talk just a little bit about you so people feel like they know who my guest is. Now, Carol, I'm understanding correctly, you are an attorney. Yes, I've been an attorney for a long time. (laughs) Okay, so that means over 20 years? Almost 48 years right now. Oh, wow. Wow, okay. So you definitely have some some credentials (laughs) as far as experience. And did a lot of your legal practice involve veterans' affairs? For the last 22 years. And before that, I did a lot of military law as well. Okay. So you have a background in military law and especially veterans' affairs. You've been working with Bergman and Moore, like you said, for 22 years. Now, if if I'm listening correctly, I'm just learning about your firm. So for my guests, I mean, this is – I'm getting acquainted with uh, the folks here. And for you who are my listeners – I'm just telling you, a lot of these folks that I have sitting with me in the studio, the virtual studio, it's an exhibit hall, if you can't tell sometimes by the background noise, I'm getting to know for the first time. So Carol and I, we just met, and I'm just learning about Bergman and Moore as well. So I have one small correction. Oh, okay, help me. I have not been. I was in the nonprofit world for 22 22- for 22 years. I've been with Bergman and Moore for about a year. Ah, okay. And the only reason I am with them is because they are the only veterans law firm, and they're the biggest one in the country. They're the only veterans law firm that is actively reaching out to Indian veterans. Okay. No other firm has ever done that. And this is the exciting part of the story, and this is why we've got you on the air. Dan was sharing with us just, you know, through his eyes, some of the challenges that veterans face. I mean, of course, he actually, you know, saw combat. He, you know, was, you know, in Vietnam. This is a, an experience that um, whether it's been in Nam or in the Middle East or wherever, 
a lot of Native veterans have had this experience of really these these very traumatic, mentally, emotionally challenging experiences. And I think a lot of people, I mean, myself included, sometimes don't understand how the veteran system works. So let's talk about someone who may have just come out of the military. Uh, let's take a Native woman, for example. Okay, okay. so it's a young lady. She uh, spent four years in some branch. We, we won't identify anyone in particular. And uh, now she's uh, come back home to the reservation, and she has some health needs. Is it not just as simple as going to a VA facility and they just cover everything she needs? When a veteran comes out, when a, when a GI comes out of the military and becomes a veteran, particularly if they're a combat vet, mm -hmm. they're entitled to five years of health care from the VA. Okay. The VA doesn't publicize that in Indian country. Okay. But they are entitled. And almost always, a woman vet particularly, there are health care issues that have to be dealt with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Indian veterans, women, are far more likely to have suffered uh, sexual trauma in the mm -hmm. military mm -hmm. and are very reluctant, as you could understand, to talk about it. And finding culturally competent mental health care in the VA is nearly impossible. I know of only one psychologist, and she's in Oklahoma. Wow. So, so here's the question. So if, if someone is listening today, they are a veteran, they have seen combat, they are entitled to this five years of benefit. But let's talk with someone uh, or talk to someone who maybe has been in the military for, you know, they were honorably discharged, but they never did see combat duty. They were uh, helping in logistic areas or, or other areas, never saw that combat duty. Do they not have just guaranteed benefits for a period of time? No. Okay. But they can apply for VA care. Mm -hmm. And the most important part is applying for benefits. Oh, okay. Because health care is largely tied to benefits. Mm -hmm. And it's necessary to apply for those benefits. And the problem in Indian country is that there are very rarely people who are accredited to the VA to represent tribal vets in their own communities. So let's go to another reservation setting, just in our minds. And we're there, and maybe there's four vets that are, are talking together, and they're saying, you know, we're not near any veterans facility, uh, and maybe we qualify for veterans benefits, maybe they don't, maybe one's 10 years out of the service, maybe one saw combat duty and another couple didn't, uh, a third one. Um, you know, they're just kind of saying here, we don't know how the system works. And does it really make any difference? Because we're far from any kind of veterans facility. What would you say to someone like that? Well, veterans benefits can be applied for online. Okay. And, of course, part of that problem is that there is a limited broadband coverage in Indian country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So getting online is difficult. Okay, and older veterans are challenged uh -huh. in dealing with technology. But 
they can apply without going to the regional office. Okay. You can apply by the mail. You can apply online. So if someone applies for veterans' benefits, because you're telling us it's not automatic, no matter how much time you served, you don't necessarily have automatic benefits? That's right. Um, now, is there something where someone is uh, basically on a pension or things like that if they've served 20 years or whatever it is that they have some automatic uh, benefits? Retirement that, benefits. Yeah, like a retirement benefit. But that right, only, that's military. Okay. So in this case, we're talking about someone who had a shorter term of service. They're a veteran right now. They need to go through an application process. So tell me if I'm hearing you right. No matter what happened to a person in the military, they may have some significant, they may be dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. We spoke about that in the first half of the show. They don't automatically get benefits. They can't just show up in a VA facility. They have to go through some process of application. Yes. They have to file a claim. Okay. And that claim becomes the date on which that claim is filed is known as the effective date. Okay. And they submit their claim. And the, it goes to the regional office. Mm -hmm. And it is processed there through a very convoluted way. But it is processed okay. there. Okay. Okay. And a decision is reached whether to grant it or deny it. And sometimes they grant in part and deny in part. Mm -hmm. But... That determination is made, and the veteran is sent a letter which advises them whether that claim has been granted or denied. And after that, they um, uh, have an opportunity to appeal a mm -hmm. denial, and they are given a year within which to file an appeal, or what is called a notice of disagreement. Okay. And once that is done, then it is reprocessed in the regional office. And the, under the old system, the one that's currently in use, mm -hmm. they can ask for a hearing with what's called a decision review officer, okay. who is supposed to be someone with a little more experience, etc. Uh -huh. And that person then makes a determination. If it is again denied, then they have 90 days within which to file an appeal to the Board of Veterans' Appeals. Hmm. And once that gets to the board, and now it's a three- to five-year wait wow. for a determination by the board because there's a backlog of 450-plus thousand what? appeals. What, 450,000? Thousand. The VA is appeal system is basically broken. Hmm. After the Board of Veterans' Appeals has denied the claim, there is a further appeal to the Court of Appeals to, uh, for Veterans' Claims. You have 120 days. Oh, okay, okay. Within which to file an appeal with the court. Huh. The court, in the last several years, has overturned and sent back to grant more than 70%. 70? 70? 70. 70%. In fact, in 2016, it was 77%. Wow. 
So basically what I hear you saying is there's this cumbersome process, this lengthy process. Many people are going to get denied. And when everything's all said and done, it basically is decided that, hey, really, you had a legitimate reason that you should have been getting benefits for this. Right. They can refile a claim, Mm -hmm. too. Okay, okay. Wow, this is... um, I, mean, I call it the hamster wheel. Okay, okay. Well, you're de- you're definitely expanding our perspectives. I think I- I'm getting a little idea on how this works, but it seems like there's more questions running through my mind, Carol, than uh, than answers that I've gotten because I haven't asked the questions. So <laughs> let me tell you what where we want to go. We've got to step away here just very briefly, but before we do, just to let you know what I'm thinking and just to let our listeners know, we want to talk about some of these uh, specifics and then some encouraging stories because. Your firm has been helping Native Americans get benefits that they deserve through the veteran system. So we want to yes. tell that encouraging part of the story and then give some encouragement for others to get involved in this process because uh, you and I were talking off air before we started the interview that there's opportunities for people in Indian country to make a difference. So that is where we're headed. We're going to talk uh, more about this, uh, the veteran system, how to navigate it, some practical questions and answers, and then some things that may relate to you. Whether you're a veteran or not, there's ways that you can make a difference with your people on your tribal lands or in your urban setting. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Don't go away. A lot more to come. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. We're focused especially on things that relate to veterans in Indian country. We first heard from a veteran, Dan King, and some of his experiences. Now we're talking with Carol Scott, an attorney who works with the firm Bergman and Moore, representing America's veterans and especially reaching out to Indian country. Carol, you and I were uh, beginning to talk a little bit during the break about my big question. I'm thinking, well, why isn't there a more proactive process? How come when someone is getting ready to leave the service, why don't they go through this determination there? And can you help me understand just how that works? Well, they have begun, the VA and DOD, Mm -hmm. have begun a process by which initial application for benefits may be made be prior to discharge, and I think that process starts about six months before discharge. Oh, okay. And if a, a combat veteran has been seriously wounded, mm-hmm. they will carry over. He will be given a rating by the military because very frequently they are medically discharged from the military. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, they have DOD or military benefits that come. But they transition also to the VA, and they can have VA benefits instead of. There's now an offset between the two. But there is a process by which uh, the benefits can begin as soon as they are discharged. Okay. Now, if someone actually has bodily injury, we would say this is pretty obvious. I mean, if someone loses a limb or something like that, uh, the service typically gives them a percentage Right? Is something service-connected? We've heard these numbers. How does that work? They will, if they are medically discharged, Mm -hmm. they will have a medical rating by first a medical evaluation board and then a physical evaluation board. Okay. And these are formal board hearings. They're entitled to counsel. Uh Uh-huh. And very often when they come out of those they will then transit into the VA system. Okay. And a huge issue right now is the creation of a seamless medical record uh-huh. system between the VA and DOD. Okay. So the Department of Defense has their own system right now. Veterans Affairs has their own system. And right now they're not talking together electronically. Yeah. Right? Um so what is this service rating or service connected? Or So if someone has an injury, someone says to me, well, you know, I'm 50% uh, disabled according to the service. What, what, is, what do those numbers mean and how does that affect them? That in the service, and mm-hmm. I'm a little weak on how that system actually works, okay. but I know that they can get disability from the military. Uh-huh. And usually that is the result of a medical retirement. I see, I see. But if they are simply discharged without a medical retirement, Mm -hmm. then they go to the VA system. Okay. So let's come back to that individual or those four individuals on the reservation. They're talking together. And one of them says, yeah, I served four years in the military, Um, didn't have any injuries that I knew of, but 
you know, I'm having these dreams, I'm depressed, whatever. The, he opens up to some of his peers and they say, well, wow, you need to get some help. You know, we've noticed you've been drinking a lot more or, you know, whatever might be some other issues that they've noticed. That person, when he, let's say, 10 years ago was honorably discharged from the military, he didn't fill out any paperwork. Does that mean he's not eligible at that point for benefits? He's got to go through some application process first? He has to go through an application process that I described earlier. Okay, okay. But it is the the physical wounds can be very obvious. That's right, right, right. mechanics. Exactly. But mental health is culture. Mm-hmm. And getting appropriate mental health care is difficult. And they have to be evaluated if they file for a claim for PTSD. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then they are evaluated by a VA psychologist. Okay, okay. So basically, when he fills out that form, sends it in, he's claiming PTSD or depression relating to his time in the service or however he fills that form out or she fills that form out. When the VA gets it, before they do anything, they're going to actually ask that person to come to a VA facility and be evaluated? That's correct. Okay, okay. And so now that we kind of understand the process a little bit, or at least have some grasp, thank you so much for walking us through that. Where does a firm like yours come in? When would someone say, hey, this is the time to get on the phone and call Bergman and more? Or is that not the way it works? Do they need to work through a veteran, you know, VFW post or an American Legion post? How, how does it work? Well, People can contact Bergman and Moore directly, Mm -hmm. and the time to do that is when they have that, they file that notice of disagreement, and the claim enters the appeal stage. That's when the firm steps in. If they have worked with a service officer from VFW or the Legion or one of those, Mm -hmm. and that case is appealed. That appeal, if it goes all the way to the court, will wind up with Bergman and Moore because we have contracted with those veteran service office uh, firms or the the service officers firm like the DA, not the DAV, but the VVA or the Legion or VFW, Uh their appeals by contract, go to Bergman and Moore anyway. Okay. So basically, at some point along the way, if someone follows the process long enough, they'll probably be involved with your offices. But if someone's wanting to be proactive, the minute you get word that is not what you wanted to hear is a time to think about contacting someone. That's correct. Now, I'll just be honest with you, Carol. People hear the word lawyer and they think lots of money, I'm limited in my funds, I can't afford services of any law firm, should that be a reason just not even to pick up the phone? No, no. And this is why. The lawyers were limited to $20 from time immemorial until 19, actually 2008. Hmm. And after Mm -hmm. that they can charge a reasonable fee. Now, representation at the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims is free. Oh, okay. And that relies on the Equal Access to Justice Act. Okay. In other words, if you prevail at the court, Mm -hmm. the lawyer can ask for EJA fees. 
and the VA pays it. Okay. It comes out of the VA. In the lower board hearing, the Board of Veterans Appeals, if a an individual contacts a law firm, uh-huh. Bergman or Moore or any of the other firms, uh-huh. then there can be a fee agreement. Okay. And that, too, is subject to regulation. Mm-hmm. So no lawyer can charge a fee at the regional office. Oh, okay. Not until the notice of disagreement is filed. Then they may file a fee agreement for 20% of the back benefits and no more. Oh, okay. That's the standard. Okay. And it is, you know, it's it's one of those things that 80% of something is better than 100% of nothing. No, no, exactly, exactly. So if I'm hearing, hearing you right... There's very limited costs to get involved with your firm initially. Yeah. And uh, do you have a, a figure? I mean, if, does someone need to be saving if they're going to call you? I mean, do they need $100 is, or 500 or If the claim is continues to be denied, uh-huh. it can be filed at the court. Okay. The appeal can fi- be filed with the court. If a claim is granted and a certain amount of money, let's say... $20,000 in back benefits, uh-huh, uh-huh. and that dates from the date that claim was filed, okay. the effective date, okay. then the VA, that claim, or that fee agreement will be on file with the VA, mm-hmm. and the VA will pull the 20% out of the back benefits, okay. send the lawyer the, what's 20% of 20,000? 4, something, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. something like mm-hmm. that. Send that to the lawyer and the rest of the veteran. Okay, okay. So am I hearing you right that that really um, if a person doesn't have any means, they're it doesn't not, matter. It really doesn't matter. They're, no. they're not going to end up in debt no. working with you guys. No. You're going to collect if you win a judgment in and favor of the veteran. And if we don't win? Then that's just that's, one of the costs of doing business for right. you guys. We've got to give you contact information before we run. Our time is just about out. Um, the toll-free number, I've got it right in front of me. Thank you for giving me that. It's 877-838-2889. Again, 877-838-2889. Or you can go on the web to vetlawyers.com. That's V-E-T, lawyers.com. Well, thank you so much for joining me uh, today, Carol. It's been a pleasure. Thank you pleasure to be here. We have to run. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Thank you for joining us on this special edition of American Indian Living from the National Congress of American Indians, especially focused on veterans' issues. For all of us, I'm Dr. DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.